Okay, so I'm going to be starting at verse 22, Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 22. It's on the screen now. Uh, You might like to have your Bible as well for when Rowan is speaking. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, And the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet, God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to pray as Rowan comes to the front. Lord, you promise that you provide for us. I thank you that even right now you provide your word and you provide Rowan to share it. Please let your words impact our lives today and into the future. Amen. Great to see you here at the EU public meeting. If I haven't met you before, my name is Rowan. I lead the staff team that work alongside the EU. And it's my privilege to be leading us this week and next week reflecting on a little part of God's word in Luke's gospel, Luke's account, so Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And uh, the particular section we're looking at in Luke's gospel is about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's Jesus teaching people what it means to be one of his followers. And we're looking at one particular theme that Jesus talks a lot about this week and next week. Now, draw into this theme by asking you a particular question. What would be, if you would be so kind as to permit me, what would be an effective way of me working out or evaluating your spiritual temperature? What would be an effective way of me working out your spiritual temperature? I mean, I guess there's a couple of answers that spring to mind. One would be, well, I could ask you about your Bible reading. A lot of people seem to use that as a a guide to our spiritual temperature. I can sort of understand that. The the Scriptures talk a lot about meditating on the Word of God and that's the importance of that. Uh, Maybe I could do what someone did to me just the other day as I was meeting for a coffee with somebody and they said, how's your prayer life? As a way of trying to take my spiritual temperature. Maybe I could do what we often seem to do and just work out, well, 
Are you turning up to stuff? Are you turning up to church, turning up to EU public meetings, small group, Bible study? It seems to me that often we evaluate people's spiritual temperature based on where they turn up to stuff. I don't know whether that's actually a smart way to... That's a pretty um, baseline sort of statistic, isn't it? I don't know how effective that is. Maybe we could be a bit more sophisticated. I could ask, are you serving? Jesus says he came amongst us as one to serve and if we're following him, we're to be serving. So I could ask you about whether you're active in serving others because of your Christian faith. I could ask you about what ministry you're involved in. I could ask how you're loving people actively in your life. That would be maybe a better way. Maybe I could ask about your character. Are you showing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? That would be a pretty good way of taking your spiritual temperature. But there's one particular way of taking our spiritual temperature that Jesus talks more about than prayer. And he talks more about this than reading your Bible and he talks more about this than whether you turn up to stuff. He talks about money. So I reckon an effective way of our taking our spiritual temperature will be to take a look at your bank statement. Maybe according to Jesus, that would be a very effective way of taking your spiritual temperature. Let's have a look at your bank statement. Now, as I say, Jesus speaks more about money than he does about prayer, more about money than he does about turning up to stuff. So, as we're talking about discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I've decided that this week and next week we're going to explore some of the passages where Jesus talks about money. Now, for today's sort of reflection on Luke chapter 12, Fear-busting Jesus. And I hope by the end of sort of our time reflecting on God's Word here that that will be clear about why I've called it Fear-busting Jesus. You can see there on the board three, three headings. First of all, greed unmasked. Now, I said we're looking at Luke chapter 12, particularly looking at verses 13 through to 34. And let me just tell you, I first started really digging into Luke chapter 12 Almost exactly, I looked it up, almost exactly 10 years ago. I'll tell you the story. I was a youth pastor in a church and um, being, you know, a youth pastor who didn't want to have to necessarily run lots and lots of youth games, I had lots of, you know, recruited lots of youth leaders to run lots of these youth groups and one of the groups was a year six to year eight youth group, 12 to 14 year olds, right? Thursday night and they said, hey, Rowan, we're doing a series on what would Jesus say about blank." And we'd like you to come as the youth pastor to speak on this particular week, what would Jesus say about money? So when the Thursday came along, or that morning I sat down and just thought, okay, this won't be too bad. Luke chapter 12, I'm speaking like for 12 minutes to you know, 12 to 14 year olds, Jesus money, that would be pretty straightforward. I, I knew Luke 12 had some good, good stuff in it, I'd seen it before, so I flick it up, start reading it, so I'll dig out a few important truths here, and it has messed with my mind for 10 years, <laughs> in all seriousness. What, as I dug into God's Word that particular Thursday, 10 years ago, God's Word has not let me rest. There is a world of discomfort in this passage, but also potentially a world of great freedom. And I want, you invite, I want to invite you today into this world, Jesus' world. 
and see things the way he sees it. Because let me say, I reckon on the topic of money, it is, I think, the area in which we as Christians differ the least from the world around us. If you call yourself a Christian, there are many areas in which we stand out like sore thumbs from the world and the society around us, from this very university. Mate, just pick one easy one, the area of sexual ethics. Christians stand out like a sore thumb compared to the rest of society, right? But I, let me tell you, when it comes to money, I don't think we do stand out that much from everybody else around us. And you know why? I reckon it's because this is the area of life in which we listen to Jesus least. We stand out the least because we've listened the least. So what we're going to do here, my appeal to you, is to engage with what Jesus says. When we dig into this and take it seriously, all sorts of objections will crop up. And my appeal to you is, let's have that conversation, you, me and the Lord Jesus in his word, but let's please have that discussion on the basis of what the scriptures teach. Because we come to this particular discussion with all sorts of but what about, but what about, but what about which, which I'm going to suggest to you are worldly questions to start with. Understandable but worldly. They're fine questions to ask but let's please engage with the text. Alright, so let's turn then to what Luke chapter 12 has to say. First heading there, greed unmasked. The beginning of chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to the crowd, right? He's speaking to the world. He's not just speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to everybody. Then you get to verse 13. I hope you can see a Bible. You're really going to need to see a Bible here. Open it up, look on the person next to you, get your phone out, go to biblegateway.com, call it out. You need to have a look at this, right? Verse 13, someone in the crowd says to Jesus, we see there, teacher, rabbi, Person learned in the Old Testament law. That's what that means, right? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So, we're not told the backstory, but you can work it out there, right? So, clearly this guy um, seems, tragically, the father has died and so hence the whole inheritance is now to be distributed. But it appears maybe there wasn't a will because if in the absence of any will, what would happen is all of the property and wealth would default to the oldest brother. That was the, the culture of the day. This guy clearly is not the older brother. This guy is the younger brother or sibling who says, Teacher, my older brother won't listen to me. I keep saying to him, divide the inheritance with me. A bit of fairness, like a bit of justice here. He won't listen to me, but so, Teacher, you tell him. Maybe he'll listen to you to divide the inheritance with me. Let's split it all up so that it's fairly distributed. Now, that's a pretty reasonable request, isn't it? Strikes me as a fairly reasonable sort of request. The, the scary thing about this particular section of what Jesus is teaching is, first of all, Jesus decides not to get involved. Okay, fair enough, I guess, at one level. But it seems to me that Jesus says there's a problem with this guy's request seems to me that that's what he's saying. Have a look there. Verse 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, that is, the guy calls out and Jesus says, I'm not going to get involved and then he turns to the crowd and makes a comment on what's just happened. He turned to them, the crowd, and said, 
Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Seems to me that one, one plausible reading here is he's saying this guy's request that the inheritance be divided so that he might get a share, it seems to me if Jesus equating that with greed, that seems like a reasonable request, but Jesus has identified greed in this man's heart. Watch out for all kinds of greed, even the greed that seems reasonable. Now, the reason I say I think that's what he's saying is because then he goes on and he tells a story, a story about greed, a story about greed that again seems at one level reasonable. But Jesus unmasks it as the ugly face of greed. Let's have a look at the story. Verse 16. And Jesus told them this parable. The parable that's... Well, in my Bible it's got a heading. The parable of the rich fool. I think you should write... Scribble that out. Can you get a pen? Scribble that out. You write in your Bible, don't you? I mean, that's not the word of God, right? That's just a heading that some editor has put in there. You're free to disagree with the heading. Right? (laughs) Cross it out. I reckon... I reckon you should call it the parable of the greedy rich. The parable of the greedy rich. Because the point is, Jesus, I've just shown, Jesus is talking about greed, okay? Anyway, Jesus told them this parable, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. First thing you note, the guy's rich, right? The guy is already rich. And then what happens? He gets a windfall. The ground produces an abundant harvest. He's already rich and suddenly he's got a bumper season. Okay? Now the thing is, what did the rich dude do to get this bumper season? In the way Jesus tells the story. Who produced the crop? The ground. The ground produced an abundant harvest. Jesus, I think, is deliberately saying that they would say, this guy, you know, this was not in his control. The ground produced it. Now, given that we're working within a Christian worldview here, it's not just the ground of itself, is it? Who, who actually has produced this crop, this bumper? Well, we'd say the Lord God, isn't it? What does the psalmist say? The earth, the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's the Lord who's produced this abundant crop, right? All the listeners to this story get that. So, there's this rich man and suddenly he's got this windfall, this bumper crop. And so then he says, notice there, verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. There's too much. It's been such a bumper season, I can't fit it all into my barns. I guess that gives you lots of options of what you could do at that point. Then he said to himself, verse 18, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will be able to store my surplus grain. Yeah, when I, I had the blessing of growing up in a Christian family, which meant that you, know, you hear the stories of Jesus, I guess, over the years. And I remember as a kid hearing this story and getting to that particular point and, and my reaction was, smart guy. Smart guy. Like, you get a bumper crop, more than you fit in, what do you do? You be innovative, an entrepreneur. Tear down those existing barns, build bigger ones, store it all. Very clever man. You store the surplus, right? Now, in the way Jesus tells the story, it's very interesting. If you do an analysis, like a, 
a textual analysis of this story, he tells it in sort of seven sections which, which mirror each other. Like they sort of form this pattern, this concentric pattern building into the centre. The verse that is right at the centre is the one we just read, verse 18. It's the guy's solution to his problem. That's where Jesus is focusing our attention. The key thing to note is, what is the guy's solution? Which was, tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I can store my surplus. Now, what happens next? Then the man said to himself, verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy now has secured himself against the future. He's ensured himself against whatever might happen in the future. See, if the, he's saying if the next couple of years are drought, he's easy. He's got it all stored away. He doesn't have to worry about what he's going to eat or what he's going to drink or having an income. He's got it all stored away in the time of, of drought in the time where there's not plenty. See, smart guy. He stored it all up. He's insured himself against the future, which is always insecure. Right? Then look what happens next. Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool. Now, the word fool these days, I mean, we just sort of bandy it around. It doesn't mean so much, but in a, in a Bible context... What does fool mean? You read the word fool here, I think, against the book of Proverbs, which says there's two ways to live. You can live like a wise person or you can live like a fool. That is, you can live like an idiot, a stupid person, a person who does not understand reality. When the Bible says, and when Jesus says here, you fool, he's not saying, oh, that was a bit silly. He's saying, you idiot. God is saying here, you stupid person. You stupid person. Why is he stupid? This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? You've stored up all this grain to secure your future and you don't have a future. Your life is being demanded of you tonight. Greed, Jesus is saying. He was another type of reasonable seeming greed. Greed is futile. Greed is foolish, stupid. Because you're storing up for yourself, for you to use in the future, what you don't even know you will ever get, maybe the chance to use. Maybe you won't have that future. And isn't Jesus saying here, if you store it up for that future that you don't know you have, that that is Foolish. Stupid. God said, you fool. Why? This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus concludes with this comment. This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich towards God. You see the contrast? The rich guy storing up stuff for himself, which God says, you're a fool, you're stupid, you don't even know you've got such a future, versus being rich towards God. 
you can see why this passage maybe has troubled me for the last decade of my life. What is this saying about storing things up for my future? What is this passage, what is Jesus saying about all those wise things you do with money that comes into your sort of into your control, about how you might use that in the future. Is Jesus equating that with greed? Is Jesus saying that is foolish, stupid? That seems to run against every possible part of financial wisdom I have ever heard in my life. If you lived like this, the world will say you are the idiot. If you lived like this, Christians will say, you're you're a fool. Everybody knows you need to store up money for the future. That's just common sense. My problem is, it doesn't seem like Jesus has got that common sense. (laughs) Jesus seems to have a different understanding of what true wisdom is on this question. I want you to do something practical with me. I want everybody to do it. This is a moment of kinesthetic learning, you know, active activity. Now, for you, those of you who are just, uh, just, just talk to me, just do it to humour the others around who would like it, right? Take out your wallet or purse. Do it. Take it out. I'll do it too. No, I won't because it's over there. Take, I, I will give you this wallet. I am not going to ask for money. I'm not, but take out your wallet or purse. Hold your wallet or purse in your hand. Come on, do it. Quick. Let's do it together. This will really help you. Believe me, it will really help you. And I won't ask you to give, give it to anybody else. So you got, all right, now I want you to take out a credit card. If you own a credit card, take out a credit card. If you don't own a credit card, take out whatever sort of ATM plastic card you use. Okay? Just take, take it out and look at it. Look at it. Right, you got it? Can you find either, if it's a credit card on the front, does it have your name on it? Or if it's an ATM card, does it have your signature on the back? Yes? You can see your name on the card. Whose card is this? Very clear, it has that person's name. It has your name on it, right? Your card. Right. Hold on to the card while I just point something out. In that parable that Jesus told, maybe you noticed the rich man never thought about God at all. He never talked about God, thought about God. In fact, the emphasis all the way through his own talking to himself is my, 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 my. Talks about my grain, my crops, my surplus, my but it's all about him, right? Because he believed it was his. We know from the Psalms that's wrong. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Right? When you use that plastic, when you use that card and the money that's associated with it, whose money is it? See, the card has your name on it. So you think it's yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That means every dollar that is in your bank statement is not yours. It's the Lord's. You know whose name should be on that card? It should say Lord Jesus Christ on that card. And every time you use that card, it should, right? This is not, I'm not talking in theory or as a, a, a tricky thought experiment. I'm saying in actuality, if you believe what God's with, it is Jesus' money. 
It happens to have your name on it, but actually it should have his. And every time you use it for anything, it is his money you are using. We are but stewards of what is his. A steward is someone who has been given something by the master to use for the master. It is not given to us as our own. It is entrusted to us to use on the master's behalf. Do you see how even just that small truth, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, how that suddenly changes how you think about everything you have. All your money, because it's not yours. All your possessions, because they're not yours. They're his. He's asking you to look after it and use it for him. The end of the parable, he said, this is how it will be, you fool, with all those who are rich towards themselves and are not rich towards God. This is his word to the crowd, right? That's greed unmasked. Secondly, anxiety dispelled. Uh, verses 22 through to 31. This was the passage we had read for us, so I'm not going to read that out again, but notice how it starts. Then Jesus said to his disciples, he's been talking to the crowd, and now he turns to those who particularly are saying, but we're going to follow you, Jesus. He's talking now to his disciples. And notice he says, therefore I tell you. So drawing straight out of what he said, where he's unmasked greed, this reasonable greed, he now turns to his disciples and, uh, and tells them how to live in the light of that truth. Right? So if you call yourself a Christian, this is his word to us. And what does he say? Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. This is tied straight into the parable he just said. See, this guy, the rich guy in the story, had all this stuff stored up. He had all the grain stored up. He could eat, drink, and be merry. He had it all stored up, and you know what? It did not get him one hour extra of life, did it? When the Lord said, tonight your life will be... He said, oh, but I've got all this stored up. God would go, oh, well, yes, okay then. <laughs> life is more than food and the body more than clothing. There's, there's, it's about what time the Lord gives you, right? And Jesus says radically, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, the future, the future tense, what you will eat, what you will wear. Notice then he gives two examples of this. He gives the example then of the ravens, birds. He says, unlike the rich man, he says, they've got no storehouses. They don't reap or sow. They've got nowhere to store stuff. But you know what? They live day to day because the Lord provides what they need each day even though they can't store anything up. And then he says, consider the lilies of the field, the wild flowers. Consider how they grow. They don't labour or spin and yet they look beautiful because God clothes them. And they're not able to do anything for themselves. And then he draws it to a conclusion down here in verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world, that is the world that doesn't know God, the pagan world runs after all such things. That's true, isn't it? Our world, our entire society is worried about the future. They live in fear. Fear of 
But who will provide for me? Like, that's why I have to get a good ATR. That's why I have to get a, a, then get a, into a, whatever it is, you know, HSC, mark. ATAR, is that what it is? ATAR. That's why I have to get a good mark so I can get into a good degree. That's, but I have to get, do well in my degree so I get the good internship because only if I get the good internship can I get a really good job. And only if you get a good job in a good company is you do have your then options and a secure sort of... Isn't fear basically driving all of that? How will I secure my future when I can't control it? Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink. It's the pagan world that runs after these things. And then he gives the instead. Halfway through the verse 30. And your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus isn't saying, ah, you don't really need food. You don't really need somewhere to live or clothing. No, Jesus knows we need that. He's not an idiot. He says, your father in heaven knows you need those things. And our father in heaven's way is, seek first his kingdom and those things will be given to you as well. See, the pagan world runs to secure their future by storing up for my future. But Jesus says, no, no, don't. you don't have to worry about the future. You can be rich towards God instead of rich towards yourself because your Father knows your needs. He will provide for them as you seek first his kingdom. Um, as I said to you before, this, this passage has troubled me for a decade now, right? And in that decade... I've gone from age 32 to age 42. I've had multiple children that time. But uh, some of the principles, I guess, of this, some of the thinking about this has affected me for longer than that. And I can go back to when Jenny, my wife and I, um, after we'd been married a little while, we planned a particular course of action. We decided we would go overseas as short-term self-funded missionaries for a year. And that would mean we had no income for that year. We had to pay everything ourselves in order to go and be missionaries with this organisation. So we did, we're going to do that for a year. And then the plan was come back and because we thought that, you know, with the wisdom we gave us and the church's support, we thought I, that I would go to Bible college to prepare to be a church pastor. And that was going to be four years of training. Again, no stable income. So we were looking at five years, no income. And as, as it happened, you know, God blessed us with children that time. So in that five years, it wasn't that Jenny was working, neither of us were working. We had two kids in that time. Um, and, you know, the government was generous with some family payments towards us. And, but, and we saved up a little bit of money before we going, we've got five years, no income. So we saved up some money that was going to replace what I would have maybe got through government study payments, right? Or study type stuff because I wasn't going to be eligible that because I'd done too much education. So we stored that up, saying, well, that can at least replace that. And we'll just... Anyway, so we stored up this amount of money. Five years, fast forward five years. We were expecting that we'd saved up exactly what it would cost us to live, pretty much, you know, to replace that thing. So we expected to have zero dollars in the bank account at the end. That was the, that was the plan, have nothing in the bank account. Got to the end of those five years and more than half of the original sum was still in the bank. Being honest, I do not know how that happened. I actually do not, I cannot tell you exactly how that happened, except that God's people were generous to us, unasked. 
So we got to the end of that time, and I'd forgotten this till Jenny reminded me earlier this week. Got to the end of that time, and then I was being employed as a pastor of a church, which is great. So suddenly we had a, a house to live in and uh, income, monthly income provided. And we had this money in the bank. Going, wow, what could you do now? I mean, I guess that could have been the, the deposit for a house because by this point I was 32. We'd never bought any property. Um, and Je- I'd forgotten this in time. But Jenny reminded me earlier. She said, you know what we did with that money, right? I went, no, I, I can't. She said, we gave it away. I went, really? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently we gave it. We gave the money away. Why? Well, we didn't need it. I had a job, had an income, roof over our heads. Is that enough to survive this month, this year? By God's grace, absolutely. So why do I need the extra? So we gave it away. A couple of years ago, we've tried to continue it. So now I'm 42, we don't own a house, we're renting. Interesting, I went and talked to a financial planner earlier this year because again, we've got some money stored away, it happens, but now we've got sort of accumulated this, this extra money. So I went to a financial planner and he said to me, if you buy a house in Sydney, the only reason you buy a house in Sydney, he said, his words, not mine, is because you're worried about the future. He says a smart financial decision, just speaking as a financial advisor, this is, my, this is what I do for my living, the smart financial decision is rent. Yeah, he said the only reason people buy houses is because they're scared. Fear. Jesus says, he busts fear, see. He says, do not worry. You do not need to store up for yourself. So Jenny and I sat down on Monday night, talked about what are we going to do with this money in the bank account. And Jenny's coming to me, and this is why I love Jenny, because she, lives, she, she listens more to Jesus than to the world. She said, maybe we should just give it away. So, anxiety dispelled. I'm going to finish up and I'm going to do it really super quick. Here we go. Well secured, verse 32 to 34. What then does it mean to be rich towards God? Very simple. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. He knows that this is a scary message as he's speaking. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Part of what it means to, to be rich towards God is to use the surplus that God has blessed you with for His purposes. Not storing up for yourself, but to care for the poor, to care for His kingdom and purposes. That is being rich towards God. Let me blow you away with, with a stat as we finish. The total income of all Christians worldwide per annum, 15,300 billion. Total amount of money earned by all Christians around the world each year per annum. Total amount given away by all Christians to any cause, Christian cause, church cause, world cause, just given away at all, not kept for themselves, not spent on themselves. Answer... $298 billion equals 2%. 98% of the Christian world income is spent on ourselves or kept for ourselves. 2% given away. Okay? 
number of people in the world living in what the World Bank calls absolute poverty, which they define as being beneath any level of human decency, less than $90 a year, US. 1.1 billion. 200 plus million of those call themselves Christians. There are more than 200 million brothers and sisters in Christ who live in what the World Bank has said is below any level of human decency. The United Nations has estimated to fix the problem of world poverty, to fix it, will cost $195 billion per year. Now, if you're clever, you are now shocked because if Christians gave away 10% of their income, if all Christians just gave away 10% of their income, that would release $1,530 billion per annum, way more than is required, according to the World Bank, to fix world poverty. If Christians gave away but 10%, world poverty would cease to exist. The people who did this work made this comment. They said, the Christian church has enough riches to fulfil its wildest dreams in terms of worldwide ministry and global evangelisation. Did you know where the money is? It's in your bank statement. Stored up for what? Big stuff. We're going to come back and talk more about it next week. Look at some other stuff Jesus says about this. Some things you could do. Pray about it. Give something away today. Go to the EU website. Log in. Go to find out, find the go to the media page, find the club veg talks. There's two talks there I gave on stewardship, which is the foundation for understanding, I think, money and possessions, and another talk on faith build financial interdependence. Check out those two talks, club veg talks, EU media page. Listen to those if they might help sort of enrich it as I look at not Luke 12 but some of the other Bible passages. I'm going to close in on one minute prayer. Less ten seconds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word cuts us to the heart. It is light into our darkness. We pray that by the power of your spirit we might not just be hearers of the word but doers also to your praise and glory and to the furtherance of your purposes in the world and in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.